classe gibberish. Hello there, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of Classy Gibberish. I'm your host, Andre, and we're here today for yet another episode of the radio show in which we listen to the absolute bangers of the history of classical music. The bangers we all know and love. And today we have a female composer... Because last week we, we had a male composer. And in this show, we'll, we're all about representativity and equality and equity between genders. And so we do have a female composer. One day, we might have some non-binary composers. Although I could not play them um, in, this, uh, in this specific radio show if, the, um, if they have not died... Longer than 70 years ago. Yes, that sentence made sense. Um, therefore, therefore, uh, it's probably not going to happen. But one day, you know, another reincarnation um, of, of myself might play non-binary composers. Because in this show, we're all about representation and equality. There you go. Now today, as I said, we're going to have a female composer, and her name was, and I, yes, Mariana Martinez. Martinez. It's like Martinez, but with an S. So at the end, instead of a Z. So I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm going to say Mariana Martins. That should that should work. Anyway, so as I said, we're going to have that. Um, So yeah, I'm just going to start playing. We have her piece, this one. It's called Concerto per Cembalo in G Major. Uh, Which I think that Cembalo is this instrument. That Cembalo? I think it's called something like that in English. Um... But yeah, and concerto is obviously concert. So there you go. I'm always here for translating and, and shit. Quite nice. Uh, and later on, we're gonna have another wee piece by her, uh, which is called. Any second now, which is called La Tempesta, which I think means the storm or the tempest. So yeah, looking forward to that. Actually, this is probably the. It's been probably the episode where I came the most prepared in like years. Probably like the couple of episodes when I when I actually started the show probably were. There you go. That's nicer. There were probably a couple of episodes when I started the show which were well prepared. Um. But other than that, they've been horrendously, horrendously prepared. So today, you know, I'm I'm changing the um, I'm changing the narrative, as as we say in in Portugal and probably other well uh, uh, elsewhere. Anyway, I am going to stop, um, you know, ditching no, uh, making myself a hole, shoveling myself a hole. No, I'm doing it anyway. 
So, um, personally, in my personal life, it's been a, an interesting week. Not much happening, just more work to getting the radio uh, back on next year with loads of exciting stuff. And one of the things we have is a new website, which, um, you know, this week I acquired, or my, my the person who was in charge of our budget acquired the domain. Uh, and our website is pretty much good to go, which is really exciting. And... Dun, dun. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. Lots of, lots of things happening. And from the 31st of um, June, so next Friday, no, from the 30th of June, because there's no 31st of June, uh, which is next Friday at noon, we are going to have a new website, which is really exciting. Um, I don't know that it's been a pretty normal week just uh, doing work. Um, my All my friends are graduating, uh, but I'm not because I'm staying another year for a master's, an integrated master's, so I don't get to graduate. Um, but it's pretty nostalgic. There's a lot of nostalgia going around with seeing everyone, um, you know, dressed really fancy and, you know, Probably in Dundee for, for, for the last time, um, you know, the, those that are from abroad and so on. So it is pretty, um, it's pretty, pretty emotional. Not that I've cried or anything, but um, yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia going around. If, uh, if this were a book by Brendan Sanderson, there'd be nostalgia spread. There you go. There you, there's, a, there's a wee reference for... Uh, for the Brendan Sanderson fans, for the for the Mistborn fans, um, yeah, all the um, all the um, nostalgia spread um, flying around. Yeah, there we go. Nice. If you want to understand that, just uh, just read Brendan Sanderson. Good books, anyway. Uh, I did say Mistborn. I meant the Stormlight Archive. Read the Stormlight Archive. Read Brendan Sanderson in general, and you'll get the joke. Um, Simple. Simple enough. There's only four books, each of them with a thousand pages. Actually, one thing that I found out last week, after talking about the book in this show, was that the Stormlight Archive is said to have ten books. So far, four have been published. I've... I started reading the fourth this afternoon. It's pretty incredible because the, 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 so much happened. So much happens in the books. It's impossible to fathom what the seventh or eighth or tenth is going to look like because so much can happen in fourteen hundred pages, which is what usually Stormlight Archive books ha- have in terms of numbers of pages. Um, and there was I saw on Reddit an estimate of when. The tenth book would would be published, um, and that the the person's estimate was by 2042. How crazy is that? It, you know, I don't know. Oh, it's crazy. I'm gonna have to wait 20 years for the end of of this amazing book series I'm reading. It's crazy. It's mental. 
Um, but it's fun. It's the magic of books, you know? Magic of books. Other than that, um, in the outside world, outside my life, it appears, it does appear, that Roe v. Wade was overturned by the US Supreme Court. And not only that, but in the announcement of the overturning, the uh, judge boss person from the Supreme Court said that they were going to analyze the basis of um, you know, legalization of same-sex marriage, legalization of uh, contraceptives, even. Um, so, you know, certainly blissful times ahead for the United States of America. Um, and I actually saw a meme um, in a Portuguese meme page, which it's the first meme in a Portuguese meme page that I was able to share because it was not about Portugal, it was about the Roe v. Wade overturning, and it didn't have any writing, which is really good. And what it was, was, you know the meme where there's a guy, uh, there's a, a man and a woman, um, and they're very obviously a couple, but the man's looking uh, behind them to another woman who's walking past in the direction of um, where the photo was taken from. Um, and I'm pretty sure everyone will know what the meme is. And it, th this specific meme page um, put a an American flag on the guy on his top or whatever, and um, changed the appearance of the woman walking towards the camera um, to look like the handmade Handmaid's Tale um, cover of the book. Um, and I imagine there's a series as well, so it might be from that. Uh, which is a fun reference to how... Um, to the Margaret Atwood book, in which there's... Um, what is it? I think women... I've never read it, as surprising as it might seem. Um, but there's a... There's a... What is that saying? No idea, completely lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, so in that book, from what I've gathered, because I've been tempted to read it, um, it's it's a sort of a dystopic reality in which women are, um, you know, literal objects um, that are just there to um, breed and raise kids and so on. Um, and so, yeah, it's a fun meme, fun all around. I got one response from it saying, ha ha ha, true. Um, so... <laughs> So yeah, uh, it's a pretty sad situation, um, and the, the announcement of, of you know same-sex marriage and um, same-gender marriage, I, I, I should say, and you know ma making contraceptives illegal, like what the fuck? <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's really crazy. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be a, a fun time. Um, and I, I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing what Joe Biden and the the Democrats do, um, you know, to address this uh, undeniable issue that is going to be 
that the Supreme Court being um, majorly uh, having a ho an overwhelming majority that is conservative um, and doesn't have any, you know, um, sort of ethical considerations or anything that could um, stop them from making these horrendous decisions. One thing I saw, which is quite outrageous, is that um, I think it's 61% of Americans think that abortion should be legal, um, while only 36% think it should be illegal. So it's, it's a minority that's... Um, You know, the majority is being ignored, and that's that's not what democracy is about. And I think it's really outrageous. Of course, the, the sort of idea of the Supreme Court is to um, is to of the U.S. Supreme Court is to look at the Constitution and seeing if um, sort of the things that happen in, in in the country are according to the Constitution. But then the whole thing about, um, because obviously at the time when the con Constitution was written, there was nothing in it about abortion, because it was the 1700s, you know. <laughs> um, and but then, but then, the, the, apparently the the reason why they overturned Roe v. Wade was that it infringed one of the clauses of the Constitution, which which is about privacy. Like how the fuck is abortion about privacy? How does in how does it invade the privacy of the citizens? It's so fucking. Uh, I'm annoyed. It it annoys me a lot to see um, a country that is undeniable the bastion of of progressiveness of of the future really, and has been for uh, many many decades, and seeing them regress in such. Uh, um, an extreme manner it's really makes me afraid of of you know what might happen um, obviously I'm fairly confident that in in Europe and you know in the countries where I've lived and where I'm uh, thinking of, of possibly living in the future I don't think that it's ever, ever going to happen something like this um It's still scary. One one of the things that this overturning has done was, you know, in the past I've considered, oh, maybe I could go to the US for a couple of years just to do um, some research, you know, just uh, uh, for a postdoc or something, just to live there for a while. Um, but now I'm, uh, you know, significant, significantly less willing to uh, less willing to <laughs> to go to the US. Yeah. So it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Now another thing that's happened this week is I read a book. Wow, I hear you say, and I agree. Wow to me. The book was called I'm gonna have to check my Goodreads. Because I register all my books and how long it takes me to read them on Goodreads. It's it's a really good platform. And I'm sad, you know, so little of my friends, so few of my friends use it because it's really good. It's called The Codebreaker. Jennifer Doudna, Gene Editing and the Future of the Human Race. That's the full, that's the full title. 
by Walter Isaacson. Um, and it's a a book, surprisingly I know, um, about CRISPR. Now CRISPR is a new bioengineering slash genetic technology that came along roughly 10 years ago. Um, and this uses a system of, of enzymes, of proteins that exists in bacteria. And this is a system th that bacteria have developed of fighting viruses. Um, and this system involves recognizing specific sequences of DNA or RNA, which are, you know, specific, um, yeah, DNA, RNA, I'm pretty sure people know what they are. Um, and, you know, the specific, specifically those that target, that recognize DNA sequences are very useful um, because the system of enzymes, what it can do um, when deployed um, with, with um, any kind of cell pretty much, is it can go to specific uh, parts of the DNA um, so you, co you can sort of configure which sequences of DNA it's, it's going to go to and it can sort of edit those so it can recognize them remove those bits from the from the DNA and then add its own bits and so in practice what this can do is gene editing and it's been a really powerful um, it's been a really powerful technique a really powerful revolution in in really biology and it won the um, Nobel Prize for Chemistry in either 2020 or 2021. I'm not sure. Um, I think it was probably 2020, if I remember correctly. And it's it yeah, it's it's huge. It's a really big thing, um, and it's been immensely expanded in in 10 years um, to to a, a crazy extent. Where, this almost um, where you know it, it, there's a lot that can be done with CRISPR, and and the future possibilities are immense, and also also future risks with things like eugenics, the the um, with the rise of, of CRISPR, things like eugenic eugenics become much more realistic. Um, so yeah but it's a really interesting book and other than being a, a really interesting book it brings attention to female researchers which i think is really important um and the two in question in, in this specific book are um jennifer Doudna and emmanuel charpentier um which who were the, the two people that were awarded the uh, chemistry Nobel uh, for the discovery of, of CRISPR. Um, and it, it's really good to see work of women being put into a book in such a, um, such a good way because it's a really good book. It's really enticing. Um, and I'm, I may be biased because all the technical parts they weren't too complex but I understood virtually all of it because of 
my background in life sciences. Um, but but it, it's a very compelling book, and I really enjoyed the part. The reason why I read it was because I wanted to read uh, biographical accounts of scientific discoveries, especially within the life sciences. And so this is one of the books, the books that fits that description. Um, and it was just nice. So that was Concerto per Cembalo in G major by uh, Marianne Martin, Martins, or however you say her name. And now we're going to have La Tempesta um, by her as well. The, the three movements. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a really good book. And one of the things that it brought to my attention was um, something that happened in the 50s. Which was... Ooh, very nice. Which was the discovery of DNA. Well, not the discovery of DNA, but the pinning down of the DNA structure as a double helix. Uh, and this feat was accomplished by James Watson and Francis Crick in 1953, I think. Um, and one of the biggest controversies around this and, and in the history of science, pretty much, was that Francis Crick and James Watson used an image from what's called X, X-ray crystallography, which is a way to sort of produce images of molecules. Um, and, you know, nowadays we have very, very optimized ways of producing images of, of molecules. Uh, but at the time, obviously, this was in the, in the 40s and the 50s, these techniques that exist today didn't exist. And so X-ray crystallography was what they had at the time. Um, and because, obviously, it wasn't nearly as optimized as, as techniques are today, um, it was difficult to interpret, and, and, and especially with something as complex as DNA, because it's really a very complex molecule. Um, and and so, so what, what Rosalind Franklin is, um, is she produced the... An, uh, X-ray crystallography image of the DNA and James Watson and Francis Crick used it without her permission to figure out the structure of the DNA Um, and this really revealed how sexist science and society in general were at the time Um, it was something that it was very outrageous because obviously they did that without her permission. Um, and then when they were awarded the Nobel Prize for uh, pinning down the structure of the DNA, um, which was roughly in, I think, 62, 63, um, Rosalind Franklin wasn't given a Nobel Prize because um, she was dead. She died, I think, in 58 or 59 uh, due to... Um, um, you know, health, health. Um, uh, what's it called? To, to, because of an illness that came around due to her working with X-rays um, and and radi- radiation. 
Um, and so it's it's really ironic in a very bad way to me that uh, a, a woman who did, you know, much of the work that was necessary to pinning down the structure of the DNA and then died because of uh, the work that she was doing and messing up with radi- radiation. Um, she then was completely ignored by, by mainstream science for, for decades, um, despite the, the, um, the importance of her discoveries and, and how outrageous the situation was. Um, and I don't know much. I mean, this book mentioned Rosalind Franklin because of the issue of women in science, women in STEM, and how important it is to to really recognize the the, the feats that are achieved by by women in science um, nowadays and in the past. Um, and that's why, obviously, Jennifer Downer is a woman in science. The same way Rosalind Franklin was a woman in science. Um, and so it sort of draws the parallels between the two um, and and sort of shows how science has evolved, but still not to uh, the degree that, that, that it should, really. Um, but one of the books that I want to read... So as I said, I'm reading the fourth book of the Stormont Archive, which is... I want to say like 14, um, 1500 pages long, so it, it should take me a week or two. Um, and after that, I, I really do want to read uh, Rosalind Franklin. Um, not, not read Rosalind Franklin, but read um, a biographical accounts of, of Rosalind Frank- Franklin and what she did in relation to a, a DNA. Um, and then I want to go read uh, Francis Crick's account of the discovery of the DNA and see how Rosalind Franklin was portrayed in that. Because um, I've also read James Watson's uh, The Double Helix, which is his account of the discovery of DNA, and in which he makes um, fairly sexist remarks about uh, about Rosalind Franklin, um, which kind of, yeah, worsen the issue and make it um, make it even worse really <coughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's a really fantastic book um, even for not really for the philosophical side of, because it also discusses a lot of the morality and ethics of using gene editing you know what should be the limit of gene editing should you be allowed to select your uh, because this is in the sense of using it to edit um, to to genetically edit um, fetuses and embryos um, with with something in mind which is you know for example people with with um, a genetic disease like Huntington's disease, um, you know they can have a baby, and if the baby isn't genetically altered, um, then what happens when they grow up is they will have Huntington's disease. And with something like genetic editing, you can go in, um, and you can remove the genes that make that cause um, that cause Huntington's disease. Um, 
And so obviously that that's something that's very desirable that that you know Jennifer Doudna and other creators of of CRISPR had in mind when they created CRISPR. Um, but then you know you start thinking you can edit out, for example, the gene that causes um, uh, that causes Huntington's disease in a, in an embryo or a fetus. But what about eye color? What about height? Should you edit those things as well? Um, and th- there's there's a lot of, of important questions that are raised that are not as black and white as eye color. Um, so it's a very interesting book for that. And really just as an introduction to, um, to CRISPR, because it's a very exciting technology which is going to change the world, and it already has. Um, and so it's good to learn what it is and why it's important. Um, and it's a really inspiring book about scientific discovery, which I'm very passionate about. Scientific discovery, that is. And there you go. That was the first three movements of La Tempesta by Mariana Martinez. Martins. Um, and before that, we had her Concerto per Cembalo in G major. Uh, three movements as well. So that was really good. It's a very... Um, I don't know. I, I feel like th- this type of... Uh, and the, the music... The, the, the instrument specifically, which I think it's called cymbal or something. Um, it's very specific to... Uh, um, a specific time frame in, in history. Um, but I find it interesting because it's not something you get as often in, in the male composers that I listen to. Um, so you know that's the sort of things that are uh, brought along by um, by listening to, to female composers and trying and uh, increasing the diversity. Um, obviously, I, I am limited because of copyright issues. I can't. Um, so something has copyrights if it's been less than seventy years since the creation, uh, since the death of the person who made it. Um, and so things like Canon and D have been used, you know, widely in in pop music and so on, um, because the person who composed Canon in D, um, who I, I, it's completely gone. I don't know who it was, um, but they they made it in like the Middle Ages or something. So um, it's not got copyright protected anymore. Uh, but yeah, so because of that, I can't really play any sort of modern modern composers, which is quite a shame because um, obviously currently we see a lot more representativity of women in classical music, and so it'd be good to um, it would be really good to play more women from from more uh, contemporary uh, classical music because there are a lot more of them. Um, but yeah, that is everything for me today. It's been a pleasure, as always. I have um, a few episodes left, about three or four, before I go back home for summer. Um, I will thoroughly enjoy each and every one of those. Uh, Starting with next week, I will be back next week for more classy gibberish. Until then, I do hope you have an amazing week. I will try having a great week as well. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Bye-bye. Classy gibberish.